Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love thee, and I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not hope, and do not love thee. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, I think I'd like to ask everybody to keep Governor uh, DeSantis in your prayers. Um, he's really fighting for the rights of the people and trying to shut down groups that are not behaving like Americans. So the latest is that the National Hockey League uh, had an advertisement out for a summit they were holding. This was a pathway to hockey summit that was it's going to take place February 2nd in Florida. And it's a summit uh, to create awareness about careers in hockey and to search out people looking for jobs within the, the hockey community. So this is the post, the advertisement that they put up there. Uh, this is the National Hockey League, the NHL. We welcome you to register. Participants must be 18 years of age or older, based in the United States, and identify as female, black, Asian, Pacific Islander, Hispanic, Latino, Indigenous, LGBTQIA+, and or a person with a disability. Veterans are also welcome and encouraged to attend. So what they're saying is no white people allowed. Can you imagine this? No white people allowed. So the governor said, well, we're not having that in my state. And he uh, told them that, that's, first of all, it's a discriminatory act. And it's racism. You can be racist against white people, too. It's against any one group of people you can be racist. So keep him in your prayers. He's constantly being attacked for doing the right thing. And by the way, I don't know when the last time you saw a hockey game, uh, but I, it seems to me that almost at least 90% of the players are white. Um, and I'm not saying that they, they're purposely doing that. I think the countries that promote ice skating are generally very cold and in the north. And so those countries tend to be more, more uh, filled with white people. The hotter climate zones tend to be more people with uh, various colors, black and brown. As you get closer to the equator, I don't know why that is. It's just a fact. I'm just pointing out a fact. So it just seems odd to me. So keep him in your prayers. Now, something else that is very alarming, just so you're aware. There's a gentleman named Steve Kirsch. Steve is a brilliant uh, multimillionaire who has several uh, engineering degrees from MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Uh, he's the inventor of the optical mouse and one of the first internet search engines. And he runs a charitable uh, organization of which he donates tens of millions of dollars every year to help people. And he's, since COVID, he's devoted his life now to uh, preventing hospitalization and death from COVID 
without using vaccines. He has studied the vaccines and investigated them and finds that there's a lot of problems with them. Well, that's all starting to come out in the, in the mainstream media now as well. But one story that didn't get told, so this is more of a public service announcement, just to be aware, um, uh, the FAA, uh, the, the body that governs the airlines, um, Federal Aviation Administration, they have um, quietly changed the parameters by which they monitor the, the pilot's EKGs. So to be a pilot, they uh, study your health. Okay? They want you to be in a decent enough health that you're not going to uh, suddenly uh, die in the air and take a whole plane down. So when the vaccines were given out, they widened this margin, uh, not by a little bit, but by a tremendous amount. And this is considered extraordinary. And nobody really was really told about this. And they were really hoping nobody would find out. So uh, what has happened? Well, it seems that there's millions of Americans that have sustained some amount of heart damage from these vaccines. And pilots are among them because they were all forced to take it. Uh, and so... The measure of heart function used to be in the range of 0.12 to 0.2. It's now 0.12 to 0.3 and potentially even higher. So these numbers, they don't make much sense to me because I'm not a doctor. But the, the people that are reviewing this change are saying it's shocking. It's shocking. So why would they do such a thing? Um, I think it's because they knew if they kept the original range, too many pilots would have been grounded. And that would have been problematic to the bottom line of the airlines. They would have lost money. And we would see many more scenarios like we just saw with Southwest, where flights just got canceled out of the blue. Not saying that was the result of this, but that would be more happening much more often if they had to ground all these pilots who suddenly have EKG problems with their hearts. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that they are putting these people up in the air now, knowing that they have a problem with their heartbeat. So... You know, it's like everything's becoming so strange. Instead of fixing the problem, we just made the guidelines looser to capture more people and, and, and their ability to keep flying those planes. Uh, so keep, I, I would say everybody, you know, if you took the vaccine, God can keep you healthy and, and alert and alive. Um, I would partake of sacramentals and, and the sacraments as much as possible, though. You know, maybe bless yourself with holy water every morning and say, Lord, if the vaccine did any harm to me, come into my, my, my body and repair that through the graces of the sacraments. Uh, and, and don't worry. Worry isn't going to help you. Um, so I would say going forward, I would really pray hard about whether you want to take any of these boosters, because now there's doctors coming out public saying, do not take the boosters. So I'm just I'm not advising you what to do. I'm merely informing people that may not know what's being said. So there you have it. Uh, okay, what do I want to talk about today? I want to talk about the, the high priest, Jesus Christ. If you went to Mass yesterday, we had a reading we don't often have. It's rare we hear it, but uh, it pops up once or twice through the three-year cycle. And this is Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to read it to you because it's an important message. 
uh, brothers and sisters, every high priest is taken from among men and made their representative before God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal patiently with the ignorant and erring, for he himself is beset by weakness. And so for this reason, must make sin offerings for himself as well as for the people. No one takes this honor upon himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, it was not Christ who glorified himself in becoming high priest, but rather the one who sent to him, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. Just as he says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days when he was in the flesh, he offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And when he was made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So that's uh, Hebrews 5, 1 to 10. Hebrews is the only book that speaks about Jesus being a priest. Um, and if you notice, we don't assign it, the church, I should say, doesn't assign Hebrews to one particular author. It's always listed as a reading from uh, the letter to the Hebrews. However, the two greatest theologians that ever walked the planet, St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas both attributed the uh, letters to the Hebrews to St. Paul. So who am I to disagree with the two greatest theologians? So I'm just going to refer, when I speak about this, to St. Paul as being the writer. So what is he doing? So St. Paul has to first show us a picture of a high priest so that we can appreciate what Jesus is doing for us. So here's a few things that we've from reading these uh, the letters to the Hebrews, here's a few things that we've learned that the high priest does. The high priest acts on behalf of the people in relation to God. He's the one who offers the sacrifice. He also offers the gifts. Not every offering is for uh, sin removal. I mean, they knew they couldn't remove their sins, but they made offerings for the sins they'd committed in hoping God would, would look favorably upon them. So the high priest, you could say, works for the people. He works for the people. And he was the mediator, not only representing the sinful people before God, but actually bringing them back into fellowship with God through his work on their behalf. If, you, if we look at one of those uh, verses, verse 2, um, the high priest was not a person who scorned the people but was able to deal gently with sinful people because the high priest basically was in the same boat. This is before Jesus. The high priest can relate because he's subject to the same weaknesses. And so the emphasis of St. Paul here is on the sympathy the high priest has towards those who ignorantly went astray. So uh, we must realize that the New Testament is giving us this picture of Jesus while he walked on the earth, while he walked on the earth. The prophets said that when Christ came, a bruised reed he would not break. That's from Isaiah 42. Jesus looked upon the crowds of people and had compassion for them. We see that in Matthew 9, Matthew 14, Matthew 15. 
And the point uh, that uh, St. Paul makes in these letters is the compassion of this of this priest, the high priest. Since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things. Uh, Jesus was compassion for us because he was subjected to a life just as we are subjected to this life. So he was like us in everything but sin. Now, uh, a high priest never made himself a high priest. You were chosen by God. The high priest is directly called by God. In the same way, Jesus did not exalt himself to this role of high priest either. Now, Jesus is not only qualified to be our high priest by what he experienced, he's also qualified to be our high priest because he was appointed directly by God to be the high priest, the one and only. This will be the one high priest who will bring forth a new priesthood in which there really is only one priest. It's Jesus. The, pre the ministerial priesthood that I am part of, we participate in the one priesthood of Jesus Christ. That's really what, we, what what's happening uh, in this priesthood of the Catholic Church. So, the, in, what we see happening here is there is a merging of the sonship of Jesus with the high priest role. And so the same God who's calling Jesus son at the baptism is also calling him high priest. So St. Paul is setting us up to understand something very important about Jesus in these letters. Jesus is the powerful son of God, and he's, a, he's a, this wonderful high priest because of what he experienced, what he suffered, and because of his divine appointment by the Father. So knowing all this, what would you expect to see in this amazing superior son and great high priest? Well, most people would think somebody with those kind of credentials would be sitting on a throne and uh, having people uh, basically bow down before him to do his will. You know that, but that's really not at all what we see in Jesus. What we see Jesus doing as the Son and as the great high priest is he's offering up prayers and petitions to the Father. This is what he's doing. Prayers and petitions to God our Father. And we also see that he has complete dependence on the Father while he's walking around in the flesh. Complete dependence. So Jesus is having a total reliance on his Father. In one place he says, I do nothing that I have not seen uh, my father do. So the father is always the motivation and the inspiration behind everything Jesus is doing. He's getting it from the father. And we know he was a, a man of deep prayer. This is where he talks to his father. Uh, Jesus had, the, I think the greatest example of the intensity of his prayer is in the garden uh, before the he gets captured for the crucifixion when he's sweating blood. That's how intense his prayer was. But he lived this intensity of prayer his whole life. He was always sneaking away from the crowds to go be with his father. He would go out to the wilderness, remember, 40 days to be in prayer with the father. And uh, at the end of the seventh verse of uh, this Hebrew 5, it says... 
he was heard because of his reverence. He wasn't heard because he was the son, nor because he was the high priest. He was heard because of his reverence. What's the point of all this? Well, it's not to show that his status makes him, um, gives him access to the Father. It's no different than us. If we're reverent to the Father, we have access to the Father. We have the same access to the Father in the same way while on earth. Uh, Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission to the Father. And, you know, really, despite his status and the intimate relationship with, with his Father, he submitted his will to the Father through his suffering. This is the point uh, of verse 8. The status of Jesus did not change what he experienced. Now, we might struggle with this understanding uh, because we don't like to hear that. We would prefer to hear, if we're very good and obedient, we won't suffer. It simply is not the truth. It's not the truth. This divine person, Jesus Christ, was called to walk the path of obedience through suffering, and that's exactly what he did. Uh, it even says, perfecting being made complete comes through suffering. So, where is this leading us? Well, this actually is good news, because when you're suffering, many people, when they have a trial or uh, a tribulation they're going through, feel as though God has abandoned them. That's not true. God doesn't abandon his children. We can walk away from him, certainly, but the minute we say, take me back, he does. So, uh, your suffering is not a result of something bad that you did, usually. I mean, if you're going out there robbing banks and shooting up policemen, and then you suddenly, you know, get shot and uh, you're in the hospital, well, yeah, that was the result of your own stupidity. But just in general, the trials of life that come to us for no apparent reason, uh, that has nothing to do with you in some way uh, angering the Father. So Jesus became the source of our eternal salvation for those who obey him. That's an important point. For those who obey him because he faithfully obeyed his father and endured his suffering. So what we see in Jesus is that suffering has the purpose of bringing a person to completion. Suffering completes submission. Through suffering, Jesus became the source of eternal life. It was through suffering that Jesus was declared to be the great high priest. So this is your, your wheels should be turning in your mind right now. This is a shift, a paradigm shift in the way we look at suffering. Uh, so when this letter is written, what are the Christians uh, experiencing who've received this letter? Remember, it's going to the Hebrews, but these are the Hebrews who are already embracing Christianity. So, Paul is giving them a word of exhortation because their lives are very difficult. There's still Romans that want to kill them. There's still uh, an uprising of the, the uh, priests and uh, Pharisees and scribes that are going against this new religion because they're following Jesus. So um, they're being challenged in their faith 
because of the difficulties they're experiencing in trying to do what is right in a world that hates them. Sound familiar? This is kind of where the world's heading today. It's becoming a very anti-Christian experience. Um, so being a Christian does not mean avoiding suffering, but going through suffering. Being a child of God and belonging to the Father in that privileged relationship does not mean that suffering will be avoided, but that you will be put directly in the, in the fire of suffering. You will be put directly in the fire of suffering. But we can't stop there. What shows a person to be truly a child of God? What shows us to be uh, children of God is our reverent submission and faithful obedience through our suffering. Let me say it again. Reverent submission and faithful obedience to God through our suffering. We're actually being made perfect and brought into spiritual completion through suffering when we surrender our lives to the Father. Just as Jesus learned obedience in his humanity, in his earthly suffering, he calls uh, people to respond in obedience through their suffering. And just as Jesus persevered, he very reverently bending his will to that of his Father, in spite of the most awful suffering ever dispensed to a human being, so too are we called to total abandonment to God's divine will. Persecution and suffering does not change the call as a child of God. Persecution and suffering is the call to bring us to completion. Suffering completes our submission when we faithfully endure. And we see this with the saints, do we not? Uh, think of all the saints who uh, very obediently endured all the sufferings of their life. You know, even sometimes suffering, com it comes in many different flavors and varieties. Uh, sometimes physical, Padre Pio physically beaten by Satan, physically beaten, bloodied, left in a heap on the floor after a run-in with Satan. He would come to his room at night because he knew he couldn't get his soul, so he just attacked his body. The same with John Vianney, physical suffering. But they also had emotional suffering. Three times John Vianney tried to leave the parish and just walk away and throw his hands up because the people were so... Um, irritating to him at times. And even Padre Pio had, was stripped of his ability to have public mass, public confession. Basically, he was boarded up in his little cell and told, we don't want you doing anything anymore. And his own brothers, some of them were uh, gossiping and creating stories about him. So the emotional suffering sometimes can be worse than the physical because um, there's just nothing you can do and it just keeps rambling on and more and more people jump on the bandwagon and start to say you're a terrible person and you're disobedient to the church and this and that and the other thing. So the, the suffering comes in many ways. We have to remember, uh, we must not allow our difficulties to cause us to think that something has gone wrong with our relationship with God. We've been put in the suffering that we're experiencing for the very purpose of perfecting us into the image of the sun. So we're given a new perspective for our suffering. It's not that something is going wrong, but that this is God bringing us to spiritual maturity. Trials test our faith. Trials test our endurance. Trials test if we're truly children of God or if we're false because we refuse to obey when times get hard. So we have to learn obedience by what we suffer. It's a whole new way 
to look at suffering and trials. But this is, this is the best news of all. Jesus promised he'd be with us till the end. And everything you need is in him. He knows what suffering is. He knows how to move you through it. He knows how to hug you through it. He knows how to love you through it. So ponder that today, that the love of God is with you no matter what you're experiencing and how bad it might feel inside. He's with you in it. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Father Dan, signing out.